song. If you have your Bibles, be turning to 1 John chapter number 5. 1 John chapter number 5. For part 2 of our message, Will I Ever Know? Will I Ever Know? I've got good news for you. Um, part 2 is much shorter than part 1. I'm intending on preaching this message at a revival at Bethany Baptist in Lubbock uh, next week, and not this coming week, but the week after, and I've got to preach it in one part, so you need to pray that I can somehow arrange this to be under two hours um, for the good people of Bethany Baptist, but um, man, I've received a number of text messages um, since last Sunday night regarding the message, and you know, most appreciating really just the vulnerability of my testimony. And I will say that, that outside of knowing completely how to articulate the message right, uh, the willingness to be vulnerable in my struggle with doubting salvation for nearly 10 years, um, that, that's why I haven't preached a message like this. The, just because I knew that I would appear to be um, dramatic, unstable, weird, and I just want you to know it's not just an appearance. I am all three. <laughs> I am unstable. I'm a broken mess, to be real honest, um, but I'm thankful I can bow at Jesus' feet, and uh, mercies are new every morning, um, but a lot of people have said, hey, can, can I meet with you and talk with you? I, I struggle with so many of the same things that you struggled with, and I've asked most people just to wait till after tonight's message. Tonight's message, though more simplistic and basic in nature, and a lot more practical, is, is going to give you basically the same answers I would give you if you're sitting across the desk from me. If after the message you, you feel like still a time of open communication and discussion, would help you because I know that's what it takes sometimes, then certainly I would want you to text me and set that up this week, and I would love to visit um, with you in regards to that. Let's read 1 John chapter 5 and verse number 9. If we receive the witness of men, the witness of God is greater. Do you remember what that statement meant? I explained it last week that... that I've always trusted my dad when he told me something growing up, and even now, I, I just trust that he has my best interest at heart. And so honestly, when my dad tells me something, I trust him. And I believe him, as you probably do, your dad, or did growing up, at least. And John is making the point that, that if you'll believe men, then you should believe a holy, perfect God who never exaggerates, never stretches the truth, never gets your hopes up without intentions to fulfill his promise. Talking about a good and loving heavenly father, if you can trust men, you can trust him. Well, what does he have to say that we need to trust? Verse 10. He that believeth on the Son of God hath the witness in himself. He that believeth not God hath made him a liar, because he believeth not the record that God gave of his son. And this is the record. In other words, this, this is what God said. 
that God hath given to us eternal life. And this life is in his Son. I love that. He that hath the Son hath life, and he that hath not the Son of God hath not life. These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that ye may know that ye have eternal life, and that ye may believe on the name of the Son of God. How many were not here last Sunday night? Would you raise your hand? You were not here. Okay, not very many of you, but I want to get you up to speed. And, and those that are here, statistics say that the moment you walk out of the door of a classroom or an auditorium from hearing a presentation, a lecture, or a sermon, you forget 90% the moment you walk out. If you think about it, it's probably true. And so I'm just going to bring you back to speed. I, I opened last week's message with this statement, the greater the potential for loss, the greater the need for assurance. In other words, if I lost a $1 bill and I lost a $100 bill, I'm going to look for the $100 bill with more urgency. It has more value. If I lost a dog and a cat, it's not even an option. You're going for the dog. The most valuable thing you have is your soul. Jesus said, Jesus said you can lose everything but if you lose your soul you still get to heaven and he said what what profit does a man have if he gains the whole world but lose his own soul and so if there's anything that you need assurance in it's where your soul will spend eternity i said this that just because you doubt doesn't mean you're lost you see it's been presented not from this pulpit perhaps but but many preachers have said down through the years, or at least the implication has been clear through their type of preaching on doubting their salvation, that if you're doubting, then you've got to be lost, because if you're saved, you'll know it. Because if you've met the President of the United States, you don't forget those kind of things. And we hear all these sound bites and all these cliches, and I, I'm not at all ragging on a certain style of preaching at all. I'm just trying to say that that kind doesn't really help those that sit in the pew and doubt. Because the truth is, I doubted my salvation for 10 years and I wasn't lost. And many of you have and are struggling with doubting your salvation. I want you to know that doesn't mean that you're lost. You know why? Because doubt doesn't come from God. He's not the author of confusion. The only thing that comes from God is Holy Spirit conviction. And the difference between Holy Spirit conviction and doubt is, is huge. Holy Spirit conviction is unmistakable. You won't be sitting in the chair and, and, and God tells you you're lost and you need to get saved. And, and you'll understand what he's telling you. You won't be thinking, is that God talking to me or not? It's an overwhelming sense of a lostness. It's unmistakable. When I was a seven-year-old boy, Walking down the hall into my parents' bedroom at 326 Beach Street, it was unmistakable. I felt like God was, was touching my back, pushing me into their room, telling me I was lost. My other two professions, one at 13 and one at 18, I didn't feel that. I was confused. I was distraught. I just wanted out of the situation. It wasn't unmistakable. Here's why we doubt. 
Number one, the devil attacks our mind. And we talked about those mind games, and I think this is the part that so many people can latch on to. This is the part that, with Brother Paul's help, I was able to articulate what I struggled with and, 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 and what so many people, so, so, so many struggle with. And these are the mind games, things like this. What day did I get saved? Because, because if you don't remember the day, then there's no way that you're saved. But my mom didn't write it in my Bible. I just know that I was around seven years old. I don't even know the day of the week. I'm still saved, though. Because I remember what happened. I remembered the place. Here's another mind game. What did I say? I can't remember what I said. In fact, I repeated after my dad. And so there are times whenever you, you hear certain preaching and it's like if, if you repeated a prayer and it didn't come from the heart, so to speak, there's no way you could get saved by repeating a prayer. But I got saved that day because I realized I was a sinner and I needed a savior. I didn't understand all the theological implications of Calvary, of hell, of Jesus. I, I didn't know the book like I know it now. I just knew I wanted Jesus to come into my life. Here's another one. How did I feel? Well, I was crying that night. But some people don't cry. Some people don't believe they can fly after getting saved because the weight just got knocked off of them. Some people do, some people don't, but our salvation's never based on a feeling. It's based on the fact that we are in need of a Savior and we ask Jesus to come and save us. Did I really mean it? And that's a hard one because if I repeated it after my dad, did I really mean what I said or did I just say it because he told me what to say? And I went back and forth and back and forth on the mean it scale. Sometimes I was a nine and then sometimes I was a one. And it tortured my mind. Did I really change the one I struggled with the most? Most people are bad, get saved, and then get good. I was good, got saved, and got bad. I sinned more after seven. Willful sin, not ignorant sin. Willful rebellion, willful disobedience, a lot more after seven than I did before seven. And so when, when, when Corinthians, first or second, whatever it is, 517 is preached, even man be in Christ, he's a new creature, all things are passed away, behold, all things become new. Man, when that's preached, if you didn't change, there's no way you're saved. By their fruit you will know them. That's talking about false prophets, by the way. Then I began to think that, that, there's no way that at this stage of my life, look how I just talked to my mom. There's no way. There's, there's no fruit of loving my parents, so I can't be saved. I just got caught cheating on a test. Remember that, Brother Kay? Three times. No way I could be saved. I'm doubting like crazy. There's, I haven't really changed, and I'm so thankful that it's not what I did that got me saved. It's not what I do that keeps me saved. Here's the question to ask yourself. Did you desire change? You're never sinless, but did your view of your sin change? Basically, my brother rebelled um, from age 2 to age 30, basically. <laughs> I don't know how long, but a long time. 
Now, he really got bad his teenage years and college years. I'm not talking just a little bit bad. He got real bad in terms of the world's standards of what bad means. And every time my dad, I even, I talked to him from my talk bunk and he was on the bottom bunk. And I would always try to convince him there's no way you're saved. TJ, if God comes back tonight, I want you to be saved. Please tell me you're lost so I can show you how to get saved. And he, nobody could budge him on a salvation. He has a testimony of walking down the aisle at Binger, at the, at the uh, what's it called? What's that? Cedar Hills Baptist Youth Camp in Binger, Oklahoma. I remember Brother Graf was preaching. I remember my brother walking the aisle and getting saved. And you can't even budge him from that. But yet, if you were to look at his life, there were times when his spiritual fruit tree had no fruit. It was dead. It seemed to be withered. I can tell you with the utmost confidence, my brother's in the presence of Jesus Christ tonight. So it kind of destroys that line of thinking. Here's another reason we have unconfessed sin in our lives. And then another one is a failure to grow. So those are the reasons why we doubt. We're going to discover that with every one of those causes of doubt, there is actually a biblical answer. A biblical response. And I want to answer the question now, looking at the causes of doubt. I want to look at all three of those causes, and I want to give you the biblical response and show you how you can get over these and on the journey to full assurance. Would you listen to me? You can know. You can go to bed not being scared. You can sit through a sermon, whether it be on hell or the rapture or whatever the case might be, and you can know, you really can, you can know that you have eternal life and that the life you have was given to you by Jesus Christ. And I want to show you that. How do I get assurance? Number one, replace wicked imaginations with biblical truth. Would you turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 10 if you have your Bible? If not, is it on the screen, Tammy? I think it is. So you don't have to turn there, but if, if you'd like to turn there, you can. It says this, For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God, and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of God. Christ. Listen, doubting your salvation is a result of the devil attacking your mind with these wicked imaginations, these mind games. Did I mean it? Do I remember the day? What did I say? All these mind games. And because we often fail to take them captive, they form a stronghold. By the way, this just isn't in the realm of doubt. Some of you are, are, are really, really bad worriers. And that's because you don't take captive immediately these wicked imaginations. Some of you have, have a tendency to hold grudges because you don't take captive these wicked imaginations. But we're in the context of doubt, so I'll, I'll stay there. That, that when these come into our mind, by way of Satan putting them in our mind, they're not in agreement with God's word, then the Bible says if we don't deal with them, they become stronghold. Stronghold was a word they used in the Bible day for the word fortress. So literally, if these wicked imaginations go either undetected or not dealt with immediately and properly, here's what happens with these. Watch, pay attention to this. They literally fortify. They thicken to the point where, where they fill your mind. It's, it, 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 it's like a defense. 
that even your most positive thoughts and your strongest willpower cannot get through, and it leaves you feeling hopeless, it is like in the fabric of your being because what you think you are. And so literally, you begin to believe that you could not be saved. It's a fortress in your mind. I wish you were here for last week if you weren't to hear my full testimony, but I stopped the testimony the night I was 19 years old. It was my birthday. My parents were sitting by me, and the preacher preached a message called Pretenders. Remember he had the skateboarder come in and couldn't do no tricks, and it revealed to us that this was just a random kid. He dressed in skateboarding clothes, and it was an illustration that just because you look the part doesn't mean you are the part. I was traveling with a quartet, Heartland Baptist Bible College, and singing that night. Well, the bass singer, who was also a preacher's kid, he walked the aisle and got saved that night. I'm thinking in my heart, if he's not saved, there's no way I could be saved. But in my heart, man, I knew I was. My dad was sitting beside me. The invitation went on for over 30 minutes. Kids were getting saved left and right. And I just knelt down at my chair. And I think my dad knew what I was praying about. And he, and he, he got down on his knees with me. And, and, and I told him, Dad, I am desperate to win the victory in this. I'm desperate. I know I'm saved, but I really want to know that I'm saved. Does that make sense? And so my dad began to walk me through um, what I need to do to get assurance. And I will tell you this, and I'll repeat it later, that it didn't just happen because I was desperate and I said a prayer. I made the first practical step to get on the path to assurance. And my dad began to explain to me that I've got this stronghold in my mind. And it's not good enough to just think to myself, Tyler, you're saved. Tyler, you're saved. Tyler, you're saved. The Bible says that, that these kind of strongholds will not be, watch, they will not be defeated with carnal, fleshly weapons. Such as positive thinking. Or willpower. No, these strongholds will only be defeated by, th- through, the, through the mighty power of God. And so you have to access biblical truth, which is mighty. It's the sword of the spirit. You have to use it as an offensive weapon. And and so my dad said, you just need to memorize one verse. That's it. Romans 10, 13. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And I began to see that verse in a way I've never seen it before. I've always used it up to this point to show other people how to get saved. But now it's a promise to me, the doubter. My dad said, Tyler, did you call upon the name of the Lord the best you knew how? I said, Dad, I don't know what I said. He said, I was there, and I don't remember what prayer I led you in, but I can bear witness that you did the best you could. And whether you know what you said or not, I believe you called upon the Lord, and and, and I I agreed with him in that I could remember it as much as kneeling down and him showing me from the Bible. It's vague, but I can remember it, and I know I called upon the Lord. And he said, then Tyler, you have to replace the wicked imaginations with this truth. If God said he would save you when you called upon him, that means he saved you. God is not up in heaven saying, nope, nope, you're a three on the mean it scale. Can't save you till you're at least to a nine. Nope, you don't know all the theological implications of Calvary. You need to go, go get some schooling, learn a little more about the Bible, and then you can come. It wasn't any of that. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord. 
shall be saved. I'm thankful he didn't include a whole list of what we have to pray. All, you know, this just big old essay. And so I'm telling you, every time the devil would, would hurl his fiery dart at me, I would take that thought captive and I'd replace it with the truth of Romans 10, 13. And I want to tell you something, I still do that today. Literally, this is the verse I go to today. You say, you, you doubt your salvation today? Well, I feel the darts of doubt coming at me. No, I'm serious. There are times whenever I'm preparing a sermon for you. And the devil puts a dart in his bow and he hurls it at me. And if I don't take that wicked imagination, not just because I've gotten to a certain point in my spiritual life and I preach behind this pulpit and all, doesn't mean I'm exempt from his attacks. He knows my, my vulnerability. He knows my weakness. I'm prone to doubt my salvation. Literally. Now it's not, it's not so much did you mean it or what you say. Now it's like this, you're just putting on a show. No, that's how the devil will attack me. So when I hear, I mean, I, I've heard of like pastors and pastors' wives getting saved. And if I hear something like that at Silver State Baptist Youth Camp, that happened. Um, the, the old pastor at Arden Road Baptist Church was preaching. I forgot his name. But Del Bigham was preaching. And a pastor who's been a pastor for years got saved and posted that on Twitter. And you know what the devil did? He put an old dart in there when I looked at that picture and read that and he shot it at me. So if you're hoping that you put these steps into place, but yet the devil will leave you alone the rest of your life, good luck with that. If you're prone to doubt your salvation, those doubts will never start com stop coming your way. But you can get into the habit of taking those captive and replacing them with biblical truth. Romans 10, 13, I think, is probably my favorite verse in the Bible. I love it. It's helped me. You must counter the devil's doubt with God's truth. Here's the second thing. Confess sin quickly. If you want to turn your Bible, you can, but it'll be up there. 1 John chapter 3 and verse 9. Whosoever is born of God doth not commit sin, for his seed remaineth in him, and he cannot sin, because he is born of God. All right, if you're saved, you don't sin, John says. But that contradicts with 1 John 1, 8. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. Wait a second, which one is it, buddy? John's saying in one verse that if you're saved, you don't sin. In another verse, he says, don't claim sinless perfection. Which one is it? To save people sin or not? Well, we talked about the illustration, remember? Whenever I was playing basketball, and I thugged out, and I pulled the shirt out from my shorts and, and got a technical foul, the first and only one of my high school career. And my dad talked to me afterwards. Said, you don't do that. And I said, oh, I was mad. It was a bad call. And I think he probably agreed with me that it was a bad call. And, but he said, listen, you're a praetor. You don't do that. It, it, he didn't say that you did that. Now you're no longer a praetor. He said, because you're a praetor, you don't do that. Cut it out. And, and John says, you're born of God. You're in the family of God. And because of whose you are and who you are, stop sinning. It's not consistent with what your birth certificate says, child of God. So, 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 so cut it out. 
In other words, it's no wonder that some of you don't feel saved half the time because you don't act saved. That's what John's saying. And so we have this sin that builds up in our life that we almost become immune to, that, that our heart grows callous towards. So what do we do? We've got to get in the habit of confessing sin regularly and quickly because even the most dedicated Christian messes up and when that happens, John offers practical advice in 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, thank the Lord, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Don't let sin build up. That night, after my dad prayed with me in the tent, he took me to the kitchen. Behind the kitchen at Silver State is, is just a path with some dirt in it. And he went in and he got a clear glass from the kitchen. And he went out and he put a bunch of dirt inside that clear glass. And he said, Tyler, this cup, this glass represents your heart. And this dirt represents tolerated, unconfessed sin. <laughs> I thought somebody was talking back to me. And he filled that up and he says, it's possible that you're doubting because your heart looks like this. And it just looked nasty. Sin that I've tolerated, that I've gotten used to, that maybe somebody didn't love me enough to confront. I just built it up in my life. And he says, what you need to do is you need to get in the habit of regular and quick confession. And he said, come here. He took me to the sink. And he put it under that water. He said, this, this water represents the forgiveness of God as a result of you asking for it, of your confession. And it took a while, but he began to run that, that water in that dirty glass, and it began to get its way to the bottom, and from the bottom it would fill up, and that dirt would begin to fall out. And the glass never really was completely clean, which makes sense, because we can never be sinless entirely. But for the most part, you could see the water pretty clear. And he said, that's your heart. No wonder you doubt when it's full of dirt and full of sin. But man, when it's clean, look at the peace you can have. And the joy you can have. And the life that you can live. Listen, you're a sinner. Your cup will get dirty. It will. It'll get dirty tomorrow. It might, get it might get dirty before you go to bed tonight. But so long as you quickly and regularly confess that sin and forsake it, listen, you'll keep your heart clean. And the peace that passeth all understanding will overshadow the doubt that is in your heart. Here's the third thing. Strengthen your faith. The opposite of doubt is faith. Faith isn't a feeling. Faith is a choice. Faith is not a passive thought. Did you hear me? It's not a passive thought. It's not thinking, okay, by faith, I called upon God, I'm saved. It doesn't work. Faith is an active obedience. Okay, an active obedience. You were given a free installment of faith at the moment of salvation. It's part of God's free gift to you. But that's just the start of your Christian journey. You're supposed to add to your faith or else you'll end up forgetting that you were even purged from your sins in the first place. That's what Peter tells us. Look at it. And besides this, giving all diligence, add to your faith 
virtue. And to virtue, knowledge. And to knowledge, temperance. And to temperance, patience. And to patience, godliness. And to godliness, brotherly kindness. And to brotherly kindness, kindness, charity. For if these things be in you and abound, they make you that ye shall neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But he that lacketh these things is blind and cannot see afar off, watch, and hath forgotten that he was purged from his old sins. Peter says what we need to add to our faith are these fruits of the Spirit. How does that happen, man? we got to strengthen it. we got to add to our faith, that installment of faith that God gives you at salvation. It's just a kickstarter. Remember when I told you I lost over 40 pounds with 165 pounds? And now I, I already weigh like 172. It's unbelievable I've gained that seven pounds. But I told you to guess, and some of you were sarcastic and said numbers that were not quite true. They're a little inflated. <laughs> but you're supposed to add to your faith. I, I went through all of that, that diet and that workout, and then I didn't add healthy habits to my lifestyle. Now I can't even fathom fitting into a pair of what did I say, 34, 32 pants or whatever? Um, that's not even in the ballpark. <laughs> so how do you strengthen your faith so you don't get to this point? I'll tell you what my dad told me to do. He said, number one, the word of God. My dad asked me, when is the last time you've strung 30 days in a row of personal devotion time? Reading the Bible for yourself, and I told my dad, never in my life have I done it 30 days in a row. Pretty sad for a guy that surrendered to the ministry. Pretty sad for a guy that's supposed to be leading people. And I've never done that, and so my dad told me, guess what book of the Bible he told me to read the rest of the summer? If you were here last week, 1 John. I said, Dad, that didn't help me one time. And he gave me a companion guide, and I was able to study it and interpret it correctly. And I did it, man. I was so desperate. I read my Bible for the first time for 30 days in a row. When I was 19 years old, the very first time, I had read it for 30 days without ever missing it. I have a feeling there are some in here that have never done that. You've never done it. And maybe your struggle is not doubt, but maybe your struggle is something else. You ought to try to read your Bible 30 days in a row and see what that does for that struggle. It'll help you. Bible says faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. The word of God is like food to your body. It's, it, it's nourishment to your spiritual life. In fact, the Bible is likened to food a number of times in scripture. And I'm convinced, listen church, I'm convinced that many of God's people doubt their salvation because they have an anemic faith. Only time they feed their faith is, is when they're spoon-fed by the pastor three times a week. No wonder they doubt. They're spiritually malnourished. Faith is like a muscle. You have to strengthen it on purpose. If you stop reading your Bible and walking with God every day through personal devotions, your faith will get weak, and the natural result of that, according to Peter, is doubting your salvation. And then there's this one. The people of God, that strengthens your faith. Can I show you in a verse? It says, let us hold fast the profession of our, what's that next word? Without wavering or doubting or going back and forth. For he is faithful that promised and let us consider one another 
within the context of the church, to provoke unto love and to good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another and so much the more as you see the day approaching. Our faith is strengthened when we're in the house of God being exhorted by the people of God. It's important. I'm not talking about a hit and miss attendance. I'm talking about an interaction with people close enough to God's people that they feel comfortable provoking you to good works and exhorting you. Paul said you want a faith that doesn't waver, then you need to be a part of the assembly enough to where somebody can come up to you and provoke you to good works and exhort you to good works. If there has not been anybody in this church ever that has approached you about an area in which you can improve, then you might not be close enough to God's people. Consider that. Paul said in Romans 1.12, that is that I may be comforted together, strengthened together with you by the mutual faith, both of you and me. Paul was strengthened by fellowship with others who shared a mutual faith. Listen to me. The devil targets loners. Be careful about neglecting worship and fellowship with God's house. Be careful about holding people in the church at an arm's length. Be careful about coming just ever so often so as not to get too close to people. You are a prime candidate to be picked off by the enemy. There's just something about our faith being strengthened when we're around God's people. That's not a sure guarantee that you will never doubt your salvation. That's a sure way to strengthen your faith. So there it is, that's a response to all three of the causes of doubt. I want to say I didn't gain complete assurance that night. It came over time. But as I replaced wicked imaginations with biblical truth, and I confessed my sin quickly, and I strengthened my faith by the word of God, I got to the point, watch, where my faith outgrew my doubt. I can't tell you that there hasn't been a time since that I've struggled with doubt or that the devil's tried to attack me in that way. I already confessed that to you, but here's the difference now. Listen to me. My faith has been strengthened to the point where I can successfully withstand the devil's attack without getting overwhelmed by the doubt. But if at any point I decide to stop strengthening my faith, at any point, I will become anemic again. My faith will be starved. I will be malnourished spiritually. And I will, I'm telling you, I, it's as clear as day, I'll predict it. I will be burdened with the stronghold of doubt. I mean, there will be a fortress in my mind, and I won't be able to talk myself out of it. It's that serious in my life. I can preach till I'm blue in the face, and it does nothing for me to win the victory over doubt. You know what does something for me? When no one's watching. Tomorrow morning, I'm going to read my Bible, Lord willing. That's what strengthens my faith. Tuesday, I'm going to read my Bible. It strengthens my faith. Wednesday night, I'll hear a good message and it'll help me. But it'll be Wednesday morning in my study that my faith is strengthened. And if I ever stop going to God's gym, I'm going to get weak. 
Speaking of gyms, I'll be done after this. Have you ever walked into a gym and you looked at somebody from across the gym who is undeniably in shape? And you thought to yourself, man, I wish I could be that in shape. But there's no way I ever will. Well, there is a way, truly. You just have to do what they do. It's that simple. And the only reason you wouldn't be in as in shape as them is because you won't do what they do. And have you ever heard a preacher preach or a testimony be given about salvation and you thought, will I ever know that much? Will I ever be 100%? I just never have up to this point in my life. There's no way. No, there's a way. You just have to do the right things. You have to get... You have to get on the path of assurance. You have to strengthen your faith. Man, I hope this has been a help to somebody. I hope that if you're struggling with doubting your salvation, that you'll get in the habit of all three of these things. I don't know if you were looking for something that would revolutionize your life tonight. But if you were looking for it, I'm just going to tell you, you'll never find it. Because this isn't a problem that's fixed overnight. Faith is built because you do the same thing for a long time. And if you'll do that, if you'll do those three things, I'm telling you, you will be able to stand on this side of the issue and have genuine, genuine peace that passeth all understanding. And it is a sweet thing. Man, that's awesome. Would you stand to your feet, every head bowed?